1998, 2007, 2016. A hike in the state park by a student excited about his future. A road trip to the border of Mexico and a young woman who missed her best friend and was looking forward to a long visit. A walk off campus by a 19-year-old who had experienced some bumps in his first few years of college and seemed uncertain of where to turn next. Three different college students in the Carolinas have gone missing, all under very different circumstances, but their friends and family still don't have any answers as to where they might be. There are a number of missing persons cases right here in the Carolinas, and some have received more media attention than others. These are the stories that tug at our heartstrings, make us pray it never happens to anyone in our families, and wonder if there is still any way to find closure for these missing persons and their loved ones. I'm Renee Robertson. Please join me for Missing in the Carolinas. Episode number eight, Missing College Students in the Carolinas. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Missing in the Carolinas. Today, I wanted to cover the cases of a few different college students who have gone missing in North and South Carolina over the years. The students all disappeared under very different circumstances, but their absences have left a hole in the hearts of their loved ones, nonetheless. The first case I'd like to discuss is the one about Jason Knapp. Jason Knapp was a South Carolina native who graduated from Central York High School, where he played football, wrestled, and ran cross-country. Originally, he wanted to be a pilot in the Air Force, but learning he was colorblind forced him off that path. After high school, he attended GMI Engineering and Management Institute in Flint, Michigan, before making the decision to return to South Carolina after his freshman year. He enrolled at Clemson University and seemed to assimilate to his new environment pretty quickly. He enjoyed his mechanical engineering classes and hoped to one day work for NASCAR. In the spring of 1998, 20-year-old Jason was active in the ROTC program and had also just been inducted into the Pershing Rifle Corps at Clemson. According to Jason's mother, Deborah Booger, 
Jason had been talking about finishing up his finals, looking for an apartment for the following school year, and making plans to return home for the summer to visit. There was no indication of any problem in his life. The last time anyone saw him, Jason watched a movie with some of his roommates at their apartment near the Clemson campus on Saturday, April 11th. His roommates later left that evening to go out. And Jason stayed home. They didn't see him for several days after that, and some of his classmates and members of ROTC grew concerned that Jason had missed some important training exercises. They finally made the decision to call his mother on Friday, April 17th. His mother, Deborah, who had also not heard from him during that time period, but figured he had been busy with school and ROTC, immediately called the police. Jason's car, a 1990 white Chevy Beretta, was found on April 21st at Table Rock State Park in South Carolina, about 30 miles from Jason's home. The park spans across more than 3,000 acres and is located in Pickens, South Carolina, at the edge of the Blue Ridge Mountains. It was locked, and a park admission ticket indicated the car had entered the lot between 3 and 5 p.m. on Easter Sunday, April 12th. Analysis of a fingerprint on the ticket later determined Jason had touched it. Receipts found in the car showed that Jason had purchased lunch from a Wendy's near his apartment earlier that day and had also purchased a six-pack of root beer and some fruit juice from a local grocery store. Investigators also found cash and Jason's checkbook in the car, showing a balance that had quite a bit of money still in it. They also looked into the possibility of suicide, but the one gun he owned, a rifle, was found back at his apartment, along with ammunition. He had also stripped his bed of the sheets and left them in his bedroom, as if he planned to launder them when he returned. Finding Jason's car at this particular state park was perplexing for Jason's parents. His mother said he was more into mountain biking and had never talked about hiking at Table Rock State Park. She also wasn't sure he would have gone there on his own. Another thing she found troubling was that Jason had a detachable face for his car stereo, which was very common at the time, and it had not been removed that day. Deborah thought that if he had indeed gone for a hike, he would have taken the face off that car stereo before locking and leaving the car. It is estimated that search teams and volunteers spent more than 3,000 hours looking for signs of Jason at the park. They even brought in dog teams from North and South Carolina. They were never able to find any evidence of Jason being in the actual park, other than his car being in the parking lot. Authorities searched the mountains of Table Rock State Park where Jason's car was found, but they couldn't find any clues. The Pickens County Sheriff's Office continues to send out flyers. Also, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children recently updated an age progression photo of what Jason would look like today. There were some people that theorized Jason had been the victim of a man named Gary Michael Hilton, who was dubbed by media as the National Forest Serial Killer. Hilton, who was 66 at the time of his conviction, confessed to a number of murders between 2005 and 2008. He abducted and murdered Rosanna Miliani from Bryson City, Cheryl Dunlap from Florida, John and Irene Bryant from Brevard, North Carolina, Michael Scott Lewis from Ormond Beach, Florida, and Meredith Emerson from North Georgia. Hilton had traveled all up and down the eastern part of the United States, abducting and murdering his victims at national parks. Jason's disappearance in 1998 
doesn't quite match up to the timeline of when Hilton began his killing spree. During his initial interrogations, Hilton denied any involvement in Jason's case and even made a recording for Jason's family. He said, I'm sorry for your loss. I've seen my victims' families crying in court. I know what you're missing. I want to assure you that there is absolutely no light that I can shed on the manner of your son. I say that realizing that it certainly fits in with the modus operandi that I'm assumed to have used in several crimes that I'm suspected of, but it is, in this case, coincidence. Not knowing what happened to Jason took a toll on his parents. His mother paid for a memorial and a bench to be installed in his name, and it is located at the South Carolina Botanical Garden on the campus of Clemson University. In 2018, Jason's parents petitioned courts in York County to have their son declared legally dead, and their request was granted. Anyone with information on what happened to Jason Knapp is asked to call the Pickens County Sheriff's Department at 864-898-5500. And now, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Are you looking to level up your writing this summer? Whether you focus on nonfiction or are more inclined to creative writing, WOW Women on Writing has a whole roster of classes this summer that can help you achieve your goals. In July, you can register for online classes like Writing the Picture Book, an auto-fiction workshop on exploring hybrid writing, the Women Writers Book Group, Building Meaning in a Memoir, or Writing Nonfiction for Children or Young Adults. For those who have a hard time fitting writing into their already busy schedules, there's even a class called No Matter How Busy You Are, You Can Still Find Time to Write. To check out these reasonably priced classes, visit wow-womenonwriting.com and click on the Classes tab. And now, let's get back to our story. This leads us to the case of Virginia Jenny Wood, a student at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, who went missing in 2007. Jenny was 19 when she went missing. She was on the dean's list at Appalachian State University, majoring in accounting. She was from a small town in North Carolina called Chacawinity, where she had grown up with a friend from high school named Kelly Gaskins. Jenny's mother said Jenny was a shy young woman whose good grades came naturally to her. Making new friends was a little harder, as Jenny was a shy girl. Her first few months away at college had been hard, but she eventually settled in and started finding people she could relate to. She still missed her best friend Kelly, though, and kept in touch with her whenever she could. Kelly and her boyfriend, Irvin Williams, had continued to live in Chacoinity while Jenny attended college, but the couple abruptly left town to go live in Texas right after Christmas in 2006. Jenny made the decision to drive from Appalachian State University to Brownsville, Texas, to visit Kelly and Irvin in March 2007 during her spring break. According to information shared in the Disappeared episode that aired on the Investigation Discovery Channel, Jenny told her mother, Tammy Wood, that Kelly and Irvin had gotten jobs at a motel in Brownsville and were also living there. Brownsville is a town in Texas that borders Matamoros, Mexico, and Jenny was excited about the possibility of crossing the border to do some shopping. Tammy was nervous about her daughter making the long trip alone, but Kelly had encouraged Jenny that it would be a fun reunion. 
so she packed up her car, a 2003 black Nissan Sentra, and headed off on March 8, 2007. She traveled from North Carolina through the southern states and into Texas. She called her mom to report she had arrived in Texas so her mom wouldn't worry. Her mom then called her the next day, and Jenny told her they were watching a movie so she couldn't talk. Jenny never called her back. After not hearing from Jenny for a week and knowing classes had started back up at Appalachian State University, Tammy called Kelly's mom, Denise Wilson, to see if she knew anything. She didn't, so Tammy went to the Beaufort County Sheriff's Department and filed a missing persons report. On March 10th, Jenny's cell phone had pinged off a cell tower near Brownsville, Texas, where she had told her mother she would be staying. Over the next four days, it appeared to be pinging off various towers across the border in Mexico. The last time the phone was used was on March 14th near a cell tower in Monterey, Mexico. At the same time, Denise wasn't able to reach Kelly during this time either. Her phone appeared to be dead. Neither the police nor Border Patrol in Mexico had any record of Jenny, Kelly, or Irvin either. At the time Jenny went missing, both Kelly and Irvin were wanted by the police back in North Carolina. Kelly was on misdemeanor probation for drug possession in North Carolina and had violated her parole by leaving town with Irvin. Irvin was wanted because he had failed to appear in court on charges of burglary, arson, cocaine and marijuana possession, and assault. Back in 2005, Irvin and his father had been involved in an altercation that resulted in arson at what was assumed to be a local drug dealer's house. Just a few days before a hearing on the crimes, Irvin's father committed suicide, leaving him to face the charges alone. Local authorities believed he headed to Texas in January 2007 in order to escape prosecution and convinced Kelly to go with him. In fact, for years, authorities believed Kelly to be a fugitive and wouldn't take a missing persons report for her. They eventually did so in 2015 and now believe Irvin Williams is possibly involved in the disappearance of both Kelly and Jenny. One thing I found strange was that when Tammy enlisted the help of an attorney in Texas, they couldn't figure out where Irvin and Kelly had been staying. The attorney had the name of an inn they were supposedly working at, but when he visited it, no one who worked there admitted to knowing Irvin and Kelly. They acted like they didn't even know them. Jenny's mom and the attorney also traveled to Cancun on the Yucatan Peninsula on the off chance that the trio had taken up residence there, even though it was a long distance away from Matamoros. After meeting with the authorities and sharing their information, they didn't find any evidence of Jenny, Kelly, or Irvin ever being there. There have also been rumors over the years that Irvin Williams has visited his mother and appeared in a local convenience store back home in Chacawinity, driving a white pickup truck with Texas plates. Investigators have followed up on those leads, never actually laying eyes on this truck in person or on surveillance, and they've also searched Irvin's mother's home and found no evidence of him being there. Because of the seriousness of the charges he faces, they have serious doubts that he would ever 
take the risk of returning to Chakawinity. Unfortunately, because of Irvin Williams's history of being involved in narcotics possession and distribution, it's also likely he could have been caught in a drug deal gone wrong in Mexico, and Kelly and Jenny were casualties of whatever happened there. Anyone with information on the whereabouts of Jenny Wood, Kelly Gaskins, or Irvin Williams are asked to call the Beaufort County Sheriff's Office at 252-946-0101. Up next, we have the case of Martin Roberts from Boone, North Carolina. Because this next case is one that has been covered extensively by the local media in North Carolina, as well as a few national shows and podcasts, I'm only going to talk about it here briefly. Martin Roberts vanished from the App State campus in April 2016. His dad and family heartbroken, desperate to know what happened. We still have hope because we don't have a reason not to have hope. This area here is heavily wooded, so we searched all this area here. Boone police are stumped. They've searched the woods near his apartment, area lakes, brought in cadaver dogs. So in all the searches that you guys did, was there ever any sign of him at any point? No, we found no sign. Martin Roberts, age 19 when he went missing, was a native of Kernersville, North Carolina, who enrolled at Appalachian State University after high school graduation. He had struggled at first at college, spending more time on his social life than his grades, leaving him to take a short leave from Appalachian State. At the time of his disappearance, he was taking classes at Caldwell Community College and Technical Institute in the nearby town of Hudson, working to get his grades back up. According to friends and family, he had plans to re-enroll at Appalachian State the next semester. A female cousin was the last person to see Martin on April 21st, 2016, near a bus stop on campus near the intersection of Hardin and River Streets near the ASU Convocation Center. Investigators were able to confirm the sighting later on in a surveillance camera footage. His cousin chatted with him for a few minutes, and then he walked away. She didn't get a sense anything was wrong. It was only after his father hadn't heard from him in a few days that he asked Martin's roommates to check his room. They found that his cell phone and other electronic devices were left behind, along with a note mentioning something about not being happy with the choices he'd made. Martin didn't have access to a car or bicycle, so he had to have left on foot. There were tips that he'd been seen near Trout Lake near the Blue Ridge Parkway, and that area was searched. Investigators also discovered he'd turned off the location services of his phone the day before he went missing. Martin enjoyed hiking and camping in his spare time. There are many who think Martin was depressed and decided to go off the grid, but at the time he left, he was only carrying a small backpack and wearing an Appalachian State windbreaker, a t-shirt, khaki shorts, white sneakers, and a white golf visor. There were no indications he had any money on him. Anyone with information about Roberts's whereabouts, hangout spots, or people he may be with are asked to call the Boone Police Department at 828-268-6900 or High Country Crime Stoppers at 828-268-6959. This brings us to the conclusion of this episode. I'll be taking a break next week for vacation, 
but we'll return with a brand new episode on July 9th. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and give it a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to visit my blog and read more about true crime cases from all over the country, including the ones featured here, visit missinginthecarolinas.com. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, WOW! Women on Writing, and the great programs and writing contests they have to support writers at wow-womenonwriting.com. Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Mia Robertson. <laughs>